0: The God who has redeemed us in Christ Jesus is a God who is um, who is acquainted with grief. Now, so that's my philosophical note. Let me uh, give you my uh, my theological word. Um, uh, Again, these are just all uh, not really related. A theological addendum or word. Folks, uh, the text is, Romans 8, 28 is this. For all things work together for good to them that love God and are the called according to his purpose. Why, in the final analysis, why must it be true of necessity that God works all things together for good? The answer, ladies and gentlemen, is provided in the last words of this verse. Because they are according To his purpose. His grand and glorious purpose. The statement in Romans 8 is not, all things work together for good as long as I love God, but if I backslide, this doesn't apply to me. That's not what it says. The promise is true because we are the called according to his purpose. The guarantee, ladies and gentlemen, that all things work together for our good, that they they always have done so, and that they always will do so, and that they are doing so presently, lies in the fact that all of that is a part of God's great purpose with respect to me. Which brings us face to face with the Glorious doctrine known as the final perseverance of the saints. Ladies and gentlemen, that ought to be of immense comfort to you because God, you are in essence the project of God. And you are going to persevere, if you are real, you are going to persevere because It is according to His purpose that you do so. Um, The real goal in suffering is not even your good. The real goal is God's purpose. And that purpose is His own glory. And from 8.28 until the end of chapter 9, what Paul does is show, what Paul is doing is showing the outworking, or he works out for us, the unfailing purposes of God towards those who love him and are the cult. All things that happen to you must work for your good, because they are according to His purpose for you. Now that's a uh, a lot to wrap your little theological minds around, but uh, get ready; it gets far more complex once we get to twenty-nine. Now, let me give you. Um, I got two more things, and I'm finished. One is a, a kind of a um, <laughs> a word of implication. Um. And um, I'm not sure you will go with me here, but we'll mention it nonetheless. If the text says, "Folks, that all things work together for good to them that love God and are called according to His purpose," if all things, in essence, work for the good for Christians, then the implication, I think, a very clear implication and a very reasonable implication, is that all things work for the bad. Of a non-Christian. And let me tell you why. Even the good things work together for bad for those who are outside of Christ. Gang, one of the worst punishments that God can give people, give any of us, is to let them have all of the desires of our hearts. All of us either have or at one time had the illusion that we are self-made people who are in control of our lives, and we're just Mr. Pull-ourselves-up-by-the-bootstraps. When a non-Christian experiences a string of successes and pleasures, it only reinforces that illusion. It does nothing but harden their hearts and and increase their pride and their overconfidence and their self-centeredness. So even in the good things that happen to a non-Christian, they are, they are working to his own hardened heart. Because it serves the illusion that we're in charge, that we're in control. You know, I, I don't know how many times I've said this, but I, um, I heard it just the other day, and, I, and I, I guess I'll say it another 50 times before I retire. But, um, you know, I was, um, I was shaving the other morning, and, and I have this... Um, um, no, anyway, that's not true. I was brushing my teeth. It was at lunchtime. I was brushing my teeth, and, and, and right there next to where I brush my teeth is I have a radio. And it's a nice little radio, and I, and I turn the radio on, and I listen to the river. And, and uh, at, at lunchtime, they had this, um, you know, uh, call in your request. I mean, I, I want to hear whatever. And so this girl calls in, and she says, I want to hear tears for fears. Uh, everybody wants to rule the world. And the DJ says, Oh, I love that song. That's true about everybody, isn't it? And I thought, oh my goodness, they know it. They're aware of it. Everybody wants to rule the world. Everybody's under this illusion that they're somehow self-made men. And if you get all kinds of strings of successes and pleasures and and and, uh, and increases in salary, it does nothing. But enhance the illusion and thus hardening the heart and condemning men to an eternity of separation from God. So, if all things work together for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose, all things, even the good, work together for bad. To them that are outside of Christ. It's a scary thought, folks. Even the good is bad. For those outside of Jesus. Now, Here's my my final. This is this is just my uh, <laughs> this is uh, I, I like my 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 outline here. It's this is I'm ready to close. I hope you are. My closing word. <laughs> um, I really like writing on that board. That's the problem. Um, I want I want to do two things. Uh, in, in as we close, there's I want to read you a prayer. And I want to tell you a story, and then we're done. Um, This prayer comes from an an old Puritan, George Matheson, and um, I I just think it's profound. Stay with me. It's, It's not that long. My God, I have never thanked Thee for my thorns. I have thanked Thee a thousand times for my roses, but not once for my thorns. I have been looking forward to a world where I shall get compensation for my cross. But I have never thought of my cross as itself a present glory. Teach me the glory of my cross. Teach me the value of my thorns. Show me. That I have climbed to thee by the path of pain. Show me that my tears have made my rainbow. I don't know about the rest of you, but I've never thought of that either. Put very simply, my dear brother and sister in Christ, we are God's project. He is, um, he is committed to a task of working in us and developing us and rearranging us and firming us up and deepening us so that we might reflect the image of Jesus Christ in our lives. It is the emerging of the Son's image in us that He's up to. That's His project. He is, a, the primary concern of the Father is that we reflect the nature and the beauty of His Son. And I say to you, my friends, it is in fact impossible to thwart His commitment to that project. For heaven's sakes, would you rest in that? And that work, my friends, will go on, though we may scream and squirm and though we may uh, cry and ache and, and doubt and debate and whether we run and whether we uh, refuse, the project is going to go on. There is no denying that some of the tools that he used uses to create that image in us are tools that hurt. But the promise of this text is those things that hurt work together for the good of the project. Now here's my story. It's my favorite story. It's a Chuck Swindoll story and I don't even know where I found it. Yes, I do. Anyway, The story is about codfish. In uh, New England, um, codfish are, not only are they somewhat of a delicacy, uh, New England cod is is quite a commercial business. There is a demand all over the country for uh, New England cod, um, and so as the public demand grew for codfish... Um, the, the, uh, the shippers or the fishermen or whoever, um, ran into a little bit of a problem. Because they would take the orders for the cod and then they would, you know, freeze them, put them on some kind of airplane and send them over to the west coast. And what they discovered is when they got to the west coast that the cod, because they had been frozen, had lost a lot of their flavor. And so they, um, they experienced. Uh, they experimented with all kinds of ways to try and, you know, to overcome that problem. Um, they, they decided that what they would do is that they would ship the codfish alive in seawater over to the West Coast for their customers. And they discovered that, um, that that was even worse because not only was it more expensive, but um, uh, the, 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 the fish had lost uh, a little bit of their flavor. And in addition to that, they were mushy. Nobody wants a mushy cut. You know the texture of the fish seemed to be a- a- affected in shipping them in the salt water you know over the west coast and so some some uh, creative soul solved the problem in in a most in the most innovative i think and 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 just downright cute manner. What he did is that he shipped the codfish in seawater in a tank of seawater over to the west coast. And in the tank of seawater, he put in there the natural enemy of codfish, a catfish. Now, I didn't know that a catfish was a natural enemy of codfish, but they knew that. And so from the time <laughs> these poor little codfish left the shores of New England and arrived on the coast of California, they were being chased around in that tank by their enemy, the, uh, the, the catfish. And guess what? When the codfish arrived at the, the market, they were, they were as fresh and as tasty and as firm as when they had first been caught. No loss of flavor, no, no mushy codfish, um, and the problem was solved. Now, folks, I bet you, you got a few catfish swimming around in your tank. You might be married to one. Or um, it might be somebody at work who's so doggone irritating. I I have to tell you this. um, Every church has a few catfish. Um, (laughs) um, And they're in the church to keep the rest of us from going mushy. But guys, have you given thanks for the catfish lately? I have thanked thee a thousand times for my roses. But not once have I I ever thanked you for the thorns. Just think, it's the tension in the tank that allows the image the image of Jesus Christ to emerge take away the catfish and you're flavorless and mushy I'm pleading ladies and gentlemen as did George Matheson that we learn something about Seeing our cross as itself a present glory. Teach me the glory of my cross. Show me that I have climbed to Thee by the path of pain. And show me that my tears have made my rainbow. You know, gang... um, one way you can learn some of this is by going again to Romans 828 and asking God to give you a heart to believe it. Wouldn't that be unusual? Christians believing a grand and glorious promise. Let's go. Ahead. Our father, I do pray that the um that our treatment of this text has been accurate, it's been um, faithful to the message that's contained in it. And if it has not, Lord, I pray that you will um, not allow people to ever remember a word I said. But if your word has been handled with accuracy and precision and faithfulness, I pray that somehow it will rankle around in the soul of your people to the place where we can find that Jesus Christ in all of His beauty is beginning to emerge from our countenance. That little by little we're learning what it means to think of our cross as itself a present glory. That the catfish in the tank are there to produce something good. And those catfish are there at your sovereign appointment. So, Lord, um, raise up a group of people who have found a great liberty from their fear, a great confidence in their gospel, a great safety in their security, and a great love for the God who manages and governs all the events and circumstances that are allowed into our lives, always and only, for the good of His people. We make our prayer, of course, in the name of Christ Jesus the Lord. Amen. Thanks and good night.